everybody, welcome. How's everybody doing all at once? Really good? That's awesome. You guys are awake. This is brilliant. Let's uh, let's all stand together and uh, let's just sing and invite God to be with us. Um, we're gonna. This is prayer posted Sunday. We don't have the board up there, but if you just want to post your prayers and your thoughts and reflections just on that wall uh, throughout the whole gathering today, um, go ahead and do that. We want to just let that be a community thing. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament says, uh, "He holds all things together." I just think it's uh, an amazing thing to meditate on that he holds this whole world together just like that children's song and uh, that's just a beautiful thing let's sing to him even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death your perfect love is casting out fear even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life I won't turn back, I know you are near And I will fear no evil For my God is with me And if my God is with me Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I
All right. Hey, folks. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, my name is Lane, and I'm the intern, if we haven't met. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all today. Um, we have a couple of community announcements. Um, the first one is that Second Harvest is coming up for the second time, and it is on December 8th, which is Thursday, 6 to 8. We can have 20 people come. I think we have between 12 and 15 right now. Um, I haven't counted for a bit. but So we have a few spots open. And we'd love to have you come out. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about last time we did it. We had a smaller group. It was during the day. But lots of families came through. I think between 70 and 100 families were fed um, or were given food. And it was just a great time. Uh, they basically come into this room that we, we set up all the food on tables. And they come and they take whatever food that they want. And um, there's a lot of different things that we can do as volunteers. Uh, we can be behind one of the food tables. We can be... Um, going through the lines with them, um, carrying bags, greeting them at the door, all sorts of things. So um, it's a great time. I got to be at the door last time and just say hello to every family, and it was just, it was awesome. Um, if anybody can speak Hmong, we really need you. But <laughs> um, so we'll pay you double if you can speak Hmong. Um, but um, that was a little difficult for me last time. Got to use my hands a lot. Um, next announcement is that we have uh, our next community dinner. Another thing where we get to use our hands because it's finger food this time. Super fun. Look at that segue. Didn't even think about that. Uh, December 18th and it's always just a lot of fun. Really relaxed. Bring the kids. Hang out. Um, for us young people who don't have kids, it's just a blessing to be able to hang out with, with 
those of you who have kids and, and just, you know, do whatever, color, play games. Um, next announcement, the, the last announcement is uh, Christmas Eve. We have two services this year, 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and they're exactly the same. Um, the nursery will be open, and I think um, older kids can be in here. Yep. So a nursery open, uh, the rest of the kids in here, and it'll be a great time. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. So um, parents, if you could bring your kids over to Courtney and check them into Kids Space, and everyone else, um, just walk around, greet each other, get to know one another. Thanks.
How's everybody doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'll, uh, I'll apologize now for um, lots of drinking of water and possible clearing of my throat and blowing of my nose while I teach this morning. But uh, you know how traveling is. They recirculate all that air in the airplane. Does anybody ever think about that? Gosh, that grosses me out. I'm not a germ freak either, but that one's kind of gross. You know, everybody's breathing the same air. And certainly, you, somebody walks on, and they're like, <coughs> you're like, I'm going to be breathing that guy's air for the next two hours. So now I've ruined flying for all of you. Welcome to Awaken. Is anyone flying for Christmas? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay. I'm sorry. Let's get, to, let's, get, let's get to the point here. Get to the point here. But before I do that, if, uh, if you're new, welcome. Uh, there are some cards on the table there, uh, probably in those little silver cans. And if you are new and interested in this community at all, want to find out more about it, we'd love to uh, take you out for coffee, get to know you a little bit, um, or email or whatever you find most comfortable. Um, so if you could fill out one of those, that would be great. And if you came this morning ready to give and be a part of what God's doing here financially, uh, we would be grateful um, to that or for that. And uh, uh, of course, that always goes to uh, to mission and what we believe God's doing here at this community. So um, if you want to know more about that, actually, there's some stuff online, um, but you can ask me and I'll point you that direction. Um, okay, here's the deal. We have been in a series for the last couple of weeks and uh, everybody okay over there? <laughs> oh, our, it's our space heater. It fell off the table. Because we do it so well. I, I Honestly, you guys, I have talked to the guy who does the heat here like three different times. So I'm sorry. We'll keep, keep going. Maybe if we paid more rent, they'd make that. It's not going well. <laughs> okay. It's not. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you need a Bible, they're in the back. If you like to knit, it's over there. Oh, the whole prayer thing. I don't know if you guys got this, but we usually have a little board here, and uh, it's we call this po- prayer post. It's Sunday, so you have little sticky notes on your on your table. Is there everybody get what we're doing there? You've done this before. Uh, write a prayer down. Write a thought down, and put it up there. And then uh, when we uh, close together, we're gonna actually going to have uh, extended time of music at the end. We'll encourage you to come back up and take one of those. And it's just one of the ways that we pray for each other as a community. So invite you to that. Okay, here we go. Advent Conspiracy, we're in week two. And last week, uh, we had Everybody Sunday, which is when all the kids are, are, are with us. And I challenged you guys to think a little bit differently about Christmas. And I asked you to try to spend less. Uh, the takeaway really is, um, would, you spend, would, you, would you buy one less gift this year and try to be creative, give something that you make or give time or some other way? Uh, so give one last gift and then use that, take that money that you would have given towards uh, for that gift. And uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to take an offering and we're going to pool all of that together. And as you saw in the video, Advent Conspiracy as, a, as an organization gives to clean water. But since we've kind of adopted hunger as our thing, we're going to put that towards hunger in this community. So would you be interested or would you accept the, the, the invitation to buy one less gift and use that money uh, or give that money to something else? So that was kind of the idea last week. Um, just as, as we get going this morning, I wanted to, to, to highlight, and, I, and I, I want us to remember something about when we gather and when we do this, when someone gets up and they teach, whether it's me or, or somebody else, um, it's important that we remember what's going on here. 
because uh, I actually had a conversation about this this week, and uh, we had a little, a lively little debate, um, which is neither here nor there, because we have a particular view of this at Awaken, and it's important because we do this every week. Um, when we gather, my hope is that you will be engaged in conversation, that what happens here this, uh, in this time isn't something that will give you the answers or, or uh, is the final word, but rather actually is the beginning of a conversation that we hope you're having with the people that you're doing life with, the people that you're in a life group with, the people that you're housemates or, or family members that you live with. So what I do and what we do as far as teaching is concerned and, and what we'll do today is not give you answers. I'm not going to try to say Here's, it's, it's hard and fast and here are the rules and this is how you should do it um, because that's not, I don't think that's really what Jesus was up to when he was talking about the good news and, and inviting people into that. But rather, um, can we engage you in a conversation? Can, we, can I provoke you enough or bother you enough that you think l- maybe differently or are engaged in the conversation in a different way? Um, and so this week, what I want to do with Advent Conspiracy is if last week was spend less, I want to ask this week, I want to challenge you this week to give more. And um, I think it could go to a pretty easy conclusion or a pretty predictable conclusion where I say just spend less, use the money, and give it to something else, and, and that's pretty much it. But I want to dig a little bit deeper, and I want to try to get behind that a little because I think when we do... I hope that we see it's very, very important. I want to talk this week about one of my, this is, this is a, I'm sort of a, a theological geek, if you will. Um, I, I never really got geeked out about things when I was in high school. I was an athlete. I played sports, that kind of thing. And school really wasn't it for me. But when I got to seminary, it was like, ding, 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 ding. All the geek buttons that never got lit up, uh, got lit up when I went to seminary. And I just love this stuff. And this particular piece today, where we're going to spend some time on, uh, is my, one of my favorite theological ideas. Um, so if you are an input person for, uh, um, on the strengths finders, you should, hopefully you'll like this. But the idea is, or the, the theological idea, is the incarnation. Which, of course, is as Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God, comes and lives among us. Uh, and so this idea, the incarnation, uh, literally means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. And it's, it, it's this idea that the divine Son of God, the divine nature of, of the second person of the Trinity, actually is perfectly united with the human Jesus of Nazareth who was born of Mary, walked down the roads of Galilee, and did ministry in the, in the, in the, the Middle East. So it's this idea of, of the, the second person of the Trinity, like the divine nature of God, and the absolutely human nature of Jesus, like, you know, smelly... Um, farts and nose, you know, snot, flesh, blood, tears, the whole deal, right? Human, humanity, that these, sorry, I wasn't planning on saying that. Um, (laughs) These two things, these two things actually come together and are perfectly united in the person of Jesus. And what this is called, for you theological geeks, there's like one, I know, uh, and if there's any others up here uh, in in the house, um, this word or, or this term is called the hypostatic union. So, and actually in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th century, when uh, the church was trying to figure out how to be the church in the world, and you have all these creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, one of the major issues, one of the central things that they were trying to figure out and trying to give words to and trying to, um, to speak correctly about was this particular piece. Like, how is exactly Jesus really fully human and fully God at the same time? And so lots of ink is, has been um, spilled over this deal. 
But I think as we talk about Advent and as we really do this whole conspiracy thing, that this idea of the incarnation is absolutely critical to what I want to challenge you today, which is give more. Um, Now, again, it would be really easy to do this kind of predictably to say, just spend less money and give it to hunger. But I think there's something more than that. And so, what does it mean that God is with us? As we head towards Christmas, what does it mean that God is with us? That's the question I want to sort of center this thing on and really kind of explore from here. And I want to give my, my thoughts some shape, which is always a really good thing. I want to do it in, in a couple of different ways. And I want to look at this idea of the incarnation, Emmanuel, God is with us from a couple of different perspectives. One, just historically. Um, on, on the landscape of, of religious history, what does the incarnation, what does Emmanuel really mean? Uh, and then theologically, are there some things that scripture tells us about what's going on theologically when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, born of a virgin, you know, conceived by the spirit, all of that. And then practically, what does that actually mean for us? So, um, Seth or whoever's over by the lights, can I get you to turn up the house lights just a little bit more so, um, people can read as we go along? That would be great if. I don't know where you all are, but if anybody else is over there, it's one of those guys. You got it. Okay, you're on it. Great. Um, So, some of you know I went to school in Colorado, and uh, I I left. I'd never really been out of Minnesota. I spent most of my childhood here other than getting lost in a boat in Canada. And so, when I went to Colorado, I had never been to the Rocky Mountains and never really seen the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. Everybody talks about the Rockies, you know, they're beautiful, majestic, purple mountains, majesty, people write songs about them, this whole deal. But when I got there, it was, it was a whole new world for me. I'm fighting Aladdin here right now. Um, whole new world. So, it, so, I did a lot of exploring. I did a lot of exploring. And um, if you've been to Colorado... I-70 is the, is the road that takes you out of Denver, and it, it takes you right up into the heart of the mountains. And at the top of I-70 is a really, really long tunnel that you, you, you have to be a really good swimmer and have huge lung capacity to actually hold your breath all the way through it. It's that long. It's called the Eisenhower Tunnel. And it basically goes right through this mountain, this pass called Loveland Pass. And on one side is Loveland Ski Area. On the other side is Arapahoe Basin. And it's a great spot. It's a great spot. Um, I didn't really know the significance of this particular spot until one day when we were out there, and, and I saw this sign, and it said that you are standing right here on the Continental Divide in the United States, which is to say, for those of you who don't like maps or didn't pay attention in geography, that if you were to pour a glass of water on one side of the Continental Divide, eventually that water would make its way to the Pacific Ocean in California, right? I always get those mixed up. It would make its way to the Pacific Ocean in California. And if you pour it on the other side of the Continental Divide, that eventually that water would make its way to the Gulf of Mexico and and out into the Atlantic Ocean. So that spot, like literally right there, is a watershed spot. If rain falls on one side, it goes to the Atlantic. If rain falls on the other side, it goes to the Pacific. It makes all the difference in the world as far as where the water is going to end up. It's a watershed spot. And I want to submit to you this morning first, as we look at this historically, that the incarnation, the fact that God is with us, is an absolutely watershed idea on the landscape of history. Turn in your, in your scripture to Exodus chapter 6, if you will. 
Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. And uh, if, if you know the Old Testament very well, this is a really important chapter, and the Jewish people really clung, have clung to this piece of Scripture for a very long time because it's the classic, it's the I am's of God, of Yahweh, to Israel. And in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take, and listen here, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A lot could be said here, but suffice it to say, this idea that God, the one of the scriptures, Yahweh, the God of creation, says to this group of people, I will take you as my people, and I will live among you. I will dwell amidst this people group, is absolutely foreign and completely earth-shattering on the landscape of history. When you're talking about religion. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this, but there's multiple creation accounts from the ancient Near East. So if Israel, and, and where the Bible takes place, is called the ancient Near East... There are multiple creation accounts. So we get Genesis 1 and 2, and we think, oh, that's a lovely story. And, you know, did God create the world in seven days, or was it a day longer, or he didn't create the moon and the stars, so the fourth day, so time. And we have all these nice little debates. It's not the only creation account out there. There are many others. In fact, two large ones are called the Enuma Elish, and the other being Atrahasis. So these are other people groups from the ancient Near East who have their own versions of how the world was made. Now, what's so fascinating about these other creation accounts and what's so mind-blowing when this one comes onto the scene and this God is talked about is that the gods of the other ancient Near Eastern people, um, they want nothing to do with humans. Usually, the humans that are, that are um, uh, on the scene or in the creation accounts are, are sort of uh, a byproduct of something else that's happened. Oftentimes it's conflict. Sometimes it's war and bloodshed. Um, most of the time, things are created out of total chaos, and, and that which is created is chaotic. And so Genesis comes onto the scene and says something very, very, very different to the original audience that would have heard this. And it says this, God is among you. God is with you. I will, this God will actually be a part of and is interested in and wants to be in relationship with. Adam and Eve in the garden, naked and unashamed is not only a funny joke that we could talk about, you know, that whole deal, but the idea that they are in relationship with God, the creator, is totally mind-blowing. So this idea, the incarnation, that God comes and lives among us, of course, it's completed in Jesus, but even, even in the Old Testament, this idea that God would say, I will take you as my people, and I will live among you, and we will be in relationship with, with one another, is um, a little out there. Uh, th th if you think about the Greeks, the same thing. The gods in the, Greek, in the pantheon of Greek gods, they're often very distant, out there, not interested in being in relationship and partnering with the people of creation, the humans. And even if you look at... Uh, um, Anybody see the movie 300? 
pretty go- pretty gory. But you know, they, this is Xerxes, uh, an, an ancient king of a of a kingdom, and they paint him as this sort of high and mighty, lofty, um, you know, dictator who ha- wants nothing to do with any of the people. So the idea that God, the God of creation, the God of the scriptures, is one that wants to be in relationship with and invites Israel into relationship with him is fascinating, if nothing else. I would say it's more. Turn to John chapter 1, if you would, to the right. First book of the New Testament. John's gospel starts, I'm sorry, not the first book, it's the fourth book. You all are like, wow, what seminary did you go to? (laughs) And how much did you pay? Or is that one of those online things? Sorry, online programs are great. The ones where you send in and they send you a certificate, that's what I meant. John chapter 1 says this, in the, beginning the word was th- in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 8. He himself was not the light, but the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. We'll skip down to verse 14. So John says this word, this logos in Greek, this, he's referring to Jesus, obviously, becomes flesh. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The fact that the God of Christmas, Emmanuel, the God who is with us, historically is a very, very, um, it's new and it, it's, I would say it sets the story of the Bible, apart from any other out there, as far as religious things go. It's very unique. And I think it's critical. Um, And then this God is made manifest, made known to us in the baby Jesus when he shows up 2,000 some years ago. So historically, it's a watershed idea. I think theologically, if we're going to talk about theologically, what could we say about the incarnation? What could we say about the fact that God is with us? And for me, this is a part of, this is a part of me reading the scriptures and kind of um, pulling out the things that have meant the most to me as it relates to this, but I would say this, that we are not alone. We live in a world that is unbelievably connected, right? I mean, like you despite the fact that you're here, um, if you weren't here, are you know, one click away, my Facebook app or whatever app. Um, any, any information that we could want is a couple of clicks away. The world that we live in is unbelievably connected, scary connected at times, especially if you're a conspiracy theorist. You get behind this, you're like, they're watching us through the cameras and... But the world we live in is unbelievably connected, and yet, if studies are correct, so many of you, so many of us, still feel lonely. We still feel there are these moments, these haunting moments, when you feel utterly alone and desperate for relationship. I was in, uh, I think it was um, Marshall's a couple years ago. And I was with Hadley. She was about five. 
And uh, Hadley, if you don't know my daughter, is a really, really confident young lady. She doesn't lack any uh, um, you know, chutzpah, so to speak. And uh, she has no problem talking at all. Um, and she loves adventure. She loves new things. She loves trying new things and climbing new things. Some of you have probably been like, oh my gosh, what? don't climb that to her. Um, but there was one particular day we were in Marshalls, and uh, we were out shopping, which is a whole nother deal, shopping with children. But um, I had my eye on her, and she kind of wandered a little bit down the way and, and made, it, made a, uh, a turn around one of the you know, clothing turnstiles. And it was at this point that um, she was far enough away, um, and I could still see her, but she couldn't see me. And there's this thing with kids where if they know where home base is, if they, if they have this solid connection, they can venture out into the world and do so with confidence because they know where home is. They know where they're loved and they're cared for and where their needs are met. Um, but the moment that that is removed or the, the moment that that is, is, in, uh, is compromised or in question, fear is right around the corner. And so she's down there and... I see her, and I'm just watching this thing unfold. And uh, she turns around, and she starts looking. And then she can't find me. And it was like she had seen a ghost. Like, immediately, terror in her face. And she just starts crying. And she says some words I will never forget. She says, Daddy, where are you? Just looking for me. What is it about it when we're alone, when we feel like we are isolated and disconnected? Why do we feel that way? Why is this one of the worst places to be? If you turn back to Genesis chapter 2, we find something very, very interesting about the way in which God made humans. The way in, like, the, in the very fabric of who we are as God crafted and made and then breathed life into Adam and he became a living soul. Something happens when that breath is given that's connected to the very nature of who we are. And we see it most fully in this verse, in chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, of course, this is, after, this is Adam, and he's alone, right? There's all the animals and everything else, and actually God has him bring all the animals before Adam, and he names them, and, and it's like there's no suitable partner for you. But it says in verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a suitable helper for him. Into the very fabric of who we are as human beings is this just um, profound relationality. And when that's removed, there is something about our humanity that is taken away. There's something about our humanity that is not, that's no longer in play. And I think we actually become less human because what it means to be human is to be in relationship with other. Um, some of you have seen, there's a great movie called I Am Legend. It's uh, I got Will Smith in it and I won't give, it, give the whole thing away. But for this clip, I want to show you, there's this part, um, some kind of virus, some kind of sickness has like, um, you know, rendered the entirety of humanity um, either dead or sick. And Will Smith in this in this movie is the only one like the only human left and he has a dog and the dog's name is Sam and Sam is this guy's only friend 
It's the only um, contact that he has with another living being. And so, as you can imagine, if you were in that place, this dog became uh, his best friend and his only relationship. And just before this part, uh, his dog dies. And this scene unfolds for me something that I think is very profound that has to do with this idea of um, incarnation and God being with us. So go ahead and take a look at this, if you will. my friend I will say hello to you today hello Say hello to me. Please say hello to me. say hello to me, he says. You know, when we get together on Sundays, uh, so many of us come from different places. Um, I don't know what's happened in your home this morning. I don't know how your kids are behaving. I don't know what's happened to you at work or uh, what's going on in your marriage or how your parents are doing in their health. And we live in a world that, I mean, if we're honest, is just really, really hard at times. And uh, horrible things happen, and we experience uh, hard things. And I think it, it would be unbearable if we were alone. there was nobody else if you had nobody to call and nobody to talk to and nobody to sit with and I think sometimes when we talk about theology and we talk about the Bible and we, we, we name these things called the incarnation and soteriology and pneumatology and it's very easy for these things to become high and lofty things that, that exist and we, we mentally ascend, we, we mentally you know, say, yeah, that's true. But the reality of the incarnation 
is that the God of creation, you know, like a dad who gets down on one knee when his kid can't find the way home and says, hey, I'm right here. And me too. And you're not alone. And I don't know about you, but um, I need to hear that. I need to be reminded sometimes that you're not alone. That there are people who are with you and for you and who support you and who love you. And so this one for me, the fact that God is with us, that he is in, in the baby Jesus shows up and says, you are not alone. Whatever you have heard about Christianity and about the Bible and whatever you have experienced with Christians or because of Christians, you have got to know that the truth of the scripture says that the God that we're talking about, whether it's been misrepresented or totally hijacked or represented well, is a God who says, I am here and I am with you and I am for you and I love you. I think this is amazing in and of itself, but then what does this really mean? How does it really play itself out? Because, again, it could be this theoretical thing that is lovely, but what does it mean for us day to day? Um, the interesting thing about the scriptures is that the God of the scripture is, has been, and since Genesis 3 and, and, and then Genesis 12, when he calls Abraham, is looking for a body, is looking for a group of people to represent him to the world. And if you look at Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 19, uh, there's this great text where, where the author really gets to it. He says this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the earth is mine, you will be for me, and get this, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Friends, question for you, what does a priest do? I mean, think about that. You know, Catholic priest or Buddhist priest or whatever. Uh, just a priest in general. What does a priest do? What's their function? What's their role? They represent. They are an ambassador. They are a mediator on behalf of, right? So if you're a priest of such and such religion... You represent the, the God of your religion to the people who follow. So God says, Yahweh says to Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, which is to say that you will be for me a mediator to the people. So the people who don't yet know me will know me because you mediate my presence, my essence, who I am to the people. Now, we're not going to do all of the, the cool theological things, but Israel 
is a group of people in the world, and they as a group, as a, as a collection of people, are a priest or are priests to the world. So they mediate on God's behalf who God is to the world, to the nations. Now, if you take Israel, and if you follow it along and you get to Jesus, Jesus, according to the New Testament, is the new Israel or the fulfillment of Israel. And now, the connection to or the participation of or the identification of God's people is no longer specific to Israel, but is specific to Jesus. Paul says anyone in Christ is a new creation. New creation has come because of that. He goes on to say that we're a priesthood of believers in the New Testament. So now, not Israel, but the people of God in the world, the church, is a priest or a, performs a priestly function, which is to say that we are mediators on God's behalf to the world. So when people ask the question, what is God like? they should be able to look at the church and get an answer to their question. How does this play out? A couple of examples. Adoption. Adoption is an unbelievably beautiful picture. It's a, it's, a, it's a move that is drenched in gospel. Adoption is to say, you are not a part of this family, but we will take you in and make you our own. We will care for you, love you, provide your basic needs. And when we do this, we can say this is what God is like. Um, forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just about you. It's not just about me. But forgiveness isn't, isn't just about the healing of my heart, but it's about the healing of the world. When we participate in the way of forgiveness instead of the way of bitterness and resentment and envy, when we participate in forgiveness, we can say to the world, this is what God is like. And we should participate in the way of forgiveness so that we can say, this is what God is like. When we participate in the garden and we garden and we work with our hands and we grow this food and then we harvest it and we give it away because there are people who are hungry who don't have enough and the world that we live in, it's not that there's not enough food, it's just that, well, there's other problems. When we do that and we say, here is some food, we can say, this is what God is like because God would want you to be able to live and have enough. When we participate in and we're, when we're advocates for justice and we work in systems that perpetuate injustice and we try to change those things, <coughs> excuse me, we can say this is what God is like. Because God is revealing himself to the world through a group of people. Emmanuel became real. Emmanuel became an idea that, that was actually real when Jesus showed up 2,000 some years ago, and I would submit, I would argue that Emmanuel becomes real again and again and again when you and I, who have the Spirit of God in us, show up and say, Merry Christmas. And love in some way, fill in the blank. So my challenge to you this morning, friends, is this, give more. Give more. 
And again, it would be very easy for you to say, well, give more means don't spend money on this, do something creative, and give it to this. And it would be very easy to forget in the culture that we live in, which is totally saturated by consumerism and capitalism and gifts and things and stuff and Christmas and craziness, it would be very easy to forget and to think what Micah means is that what he wants me to do is um, be more creative and take some of the resources that I have and give them somewhere else. And we would totally miss, we would totally and completely miss that it is not your resources or your time or your creativity. In fact, it's not the sum total of anything that you can do that is the greatest gift that you have to give. None of those things are as valuable as that which resides in us that we give to the world. And so as you lean into Advent and as you consider what would it look like for me to give more, please don't forget. Please don't think that what I'm asking you is to somehow figure out how you can reorganize your resources so that you can do this. Yes, uh, that's part of what I'm asking you to do. But if it's not if, if, if it's not built on an understanding that what we have to give as the people of God is Emmanuel, then it's all for naught. It, I think we've missed it. The greatest gift that you have is Emmanuel, that God is here, that he is with us, that he is among us, that he is about the business of forgiveness and reconciliation and restoring the world back to right. So what does it look like for you personally to give from that place? And it's going to look different for everybody. There's no prescription for this. This is where Rules and regulations don't actually help. Because you have, to, you have to filter, you have to appropriate, and you have to say, okay, if this is true, that God is with us, that he has come, and he has like, taken on flesh and bone and become one of us, and now is by sending his spirit into the world through the church, is continuing to make himself known and present. What does it mean for me to give from that place? So as we worship, as we sing, as we um, write prayers and take them uh, and pray for one another, can I encourage us to do so from this place where we recognize that the incarnation and that Emmanuel is not only something that happened in Bethlehem, but is happening again and again and again when you and I live from this place and we give of this gift. So would you pray with me and we'll uh, continue in worship. God, I want to ask that, uh, I pray that what I feel like you laid on my heart to share this morning would be heard from a, um, a place of understanding the nuance of the conversation and the assumptions that are made. I pray that, um, God, your word would go out into this community and find root, that it would take root in the hearts of us, that we would understand that you are a God who doesn't abandon us, who does not leave us, that you are a God uh, 
who is so very, very different. And yet, becomes one of us and takes on our pain and takes on our needs and our brokenness so that the world could be made right again. God, I pray that um, that our celebrating of Christmas and our giving this season, God, would be from a place of grace, an understanding of gratitude and of gift that we have been recipients, that we are the recipients of the greatest gift, a gift that we don't deserve, a gift that you give freely and that costs our lives. I pray, God, that the gifts given by the, the, the people of God this Christmas would be ones that um, carry far greater weight because they are founded in you and they come from a place of, of knowing you. So God be with us. I pray you would guide us and lead us and direct us each as families and as individuals to, to figure out how to do that. I invite you to stand with us.
Jealous of me, love like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. I realize just how. So.、Oh. 
It's one of the simplest truths to sing, one of the most profound, that you love us. We thank you, God, that you live up to your name, Emmanuel. God with us.
your week that would be great um, so if you heard nothing else or maybe you need nothing else then to know today um, that God loves you and uh, with reckless abandon and passion and pursuit um, that he wants to know you and be in relationship with you the God of creation <laughs> wants that for me Christmas. We'll see you next week. Thanks, bud. I don't want to get you sick. Yeah, I don't feel very good. Yeah, yeah. So, how are you? Could have been a sailor.